0: This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, hello there, Austin Life Church and friends, as the board says. Uh, My name is Corey Johnson. I'm one of the pastors at Austin Life Church, and I am truly glad that you have decided to join us here and to listen to um, really God's Word and what He's teaching us through it. So I'm going to read from Exodus 34, um, and then uh, we're going to take... Uh, it's going to go a different route, a little bit. I'll explain in a second. Let me, let's read from Exodus 34 first, if that's okay. So the verses we've been focusing on um, are some of... No, no, not some of... The most quoted verses throughout other parts of the Bible. Right. So uh, it's God describing himself, his character to Moses. And so when when other writers of the Bible want to describe God's character, they they go back to these verses more often than anything else. And so when we seek to know God, it's it's good. This is a great starting place to know the character of God, who he is and how we relate to him. So this is what God says to Moses that he's now saying to us who, who are reading these words. Verse 6 of chapter 34 of Exodus. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. Remember, that's in Hebrew, Yahweh, Yahweh, the one true God. I am who I am. I, I am simply God. No explanation needed. End of story. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, um, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the goodness of God. It's who He is. It's how we know Him. Uh, let's, Let's pray and then... Um, We'll go on from there. (sighs) Holy God, um, I'm asking you to speak through me, um, God, for our good. Spirit, speak uniquely to each one of us that we may know your voice, we may know what you are telling us, and we may um, love you and worship you more. Gotta be glorified through this time for our good. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. So, um, one of our values at Austin Life Church is, is authenticity, honesty. Um, we believe that it has to be, has to be, has to be, has to be okay to not be okay. We believe that the church has to be a safe place for you and for for me to honestly and vulnerably expose the dark parts of our lives and for it to be okay to not be okay. It's when we are unwilling to truly be vulnerable, to truly expose all areas of our lives that the devil has room to work. He works in the darkness. So we're, we're not going to defeat the devil in darkness. And so that's what he wants. He wants us to keep part of our doubts and our fears and our struggles. Just keep that tucked away. Work on it on your own. Um, and and you don't need to be authentic and honest, right? And so the church has done a terrible job. Mm, that's strong. That's strong. I'm sorry. Uh, genuinely. The It's my belief that the church has not done a great job of of creating a safe place to not be okay. Now, here's the deal. We're not going to stay there. It is insulting to the sacrifice of Jesus to say, man, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm not okay. And then to stay put. That's, that's a, that is an insult to King Jesus. And we're not going to settle for that, for, for his glory and for our good. And so no settling, but we've got to be honest with where we are. Otherwise, it's like trying to just swim up with an anchor tied to our feet. It will always pull us down until we cut the anchor, the dead weight, and then we can ascend to light, to the light. Okay, so we believe that it is important. It is a value to be authentic. Uh, One of my favorite quotes of late is one hole in a boat will sink a boat just as much as 10 holes in a boat. It may just take longer. Right, for our good to truly grow and move forward, that we can know God more, worship Him more holy, authenticity, honesty, um, it, it, it's important. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to struggle. It's okay for shortcomings. Let's just not stay there. So this week I had written a sermon um, to further explore uh, how God described Himself uh, as abounding in steadfast love. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. Like that is who he is. When we are like, man, what's love? We could just say God and, and that is enough because it is who he is. He's is always love. He never puts it off. He never lacks it. He never is short for it, right? God is love in every aspect. And so in the, in the Old Testament, right? These, this word here, uh, steadfast love is the Hebrew word hesed the Hebrew word hesed, and it means a steadfast, enduring, never changing, never giving up love. It's a love of choice, of will, not a feeling. It's, it's unmerited, right? It's something that God chooses. I am going to love this in a, an enduring way, hesed, a steadfast love. It, it sees it knows and it loves the same. It it sees a person, it knows them through and through, front to back, up to down, it knows everything and yet chooses to love nonetheless. That's what, what hesed is. It's a steadfast, enduring love of the will, of choice. In the New Testament, the Greek word to describe God's love most often is agape. It's the purest form of love. It is selfless. Agape love chooses what is best for another and always does what is good and kind and best. Agape love, same as hesed, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion, although there's emotion and feeling involved. It is a choice. It is a commitment. Um, it, It is anchored in a promise that says, I will love you no matter what. And and that's what we were going to talk about today. And, and we're actually we're going to talk about that next week. And so uh, I was reading about this and I started to have this, this struggle. Well, I, I personally, I was really struggling with God's steadfast love, his, his hesed, his agape. Um, so again, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. It is who he is. This, this hesed, this agape, it, it's what comes from him. And it will not change because He has promised it will not change. It is who He is. In 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says that love, uh, this agape, it, it does not insist on its own way. Right? It, it is not selfish. Love is not love if the end result is itself. It, it then just becomes a tool, a means to a selfish end love true love Hesed love agape love is selfless it looks for the good and the best of others and it moves towards others not towards self uh, it's this love that caused David in Psalm 56 in the middle of this psalm where he is writing it in Philistine captivity where he's he's recording the the tears that are kept uh, you know in account in a bottle right like he's mourning he's weeping and then he says, this I know that God is for me, right? Like David knew deep in his soul that God is for him. He's, he's for him. Love is for you. It's for the best. It's for the good. God is love. God is for David. God is for me. God is for you, right? He's selfless and generous. He's, he's giving and his grace is abounding to give this steadfast love. Love is not love if it's selfish. Love is not love if it does not act in the best interest of the other. Love is not love if it protects itself over another. That's not love. And God is love. He is steadfastly loving. He is selfless in loving. He is for us. Yet then the Bible also says in Isaiah 48, verse 9 through 11, this is God speaking. He says, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. So we can go back to that mercy, slow to anger. For my name's sake, I am merciful. I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I might not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not a silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, God says, um, that he will he will bring and protect and love everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that we are created by God and for God. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that he adopted us, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So this is where my dilemma, my personal struggle started to come in, is that God is for me and he's for you and he's for our good and he loves us selflessly and steadfastly. He does not love us as a means to him feeling good. He does not love us in a manipulative way. He does not love us in a self-gratifying, egotistical way. He loves selflessly for our good, to give us What is best. And yet the Bible also says he works for his glory. He creates for his glory, that for his namesake, for his praise, he predestines us to adoption, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so then I start wrestling with okay, is God for me or is God for himself? Is God for my good or is God for his? glory because it seems to me the dilemma that I was wrestling with this morning is that if God is for his glory it seems that I am simply a means to his end right if he's for his glory it seems that my worship his what he does for me is a twisted way to actually increase him and so I'm starting to think, is God is God's love selfish like how is it love if it's ultimately for him. So you can see the dilemma I started having in this sermon in, 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 in speaking of God's steadfast love and his agape, that he is selfless and that he, he humbles himself and he seeks our good. He is for me because it sure does seem like God is for himself. And I started to, to struggle. Does that mean that God is lacking in glory? Right, if if God created me for His glory, does that mean that without me and without me giving His glory, He will be lacking? Does God need more praise? Does God need more love and affection? Is something off? Is I mean that that would change a lot about who God is. Is God an egomaniac? It doesn't make sense because Jesus then says that God opposes the proud and exalts the humble. That God opposes the one who is seeking self-exaltation and, and rejoices and loves the humble, and yet it seems that God is seeking his exaltation. And so I was just, I, I, I don't, I was just struggling with it. And then I, I get to my own life, and I'm like, man, it seems like there's a lot of things I'm praying for that I, I, I think are good and glorifying to God, and yet I, I feel like he's not responding to. I'm getting nothing. Why? Like, if that's for his glory, that seems kind of cruel and mean a little bit. Like, couldn't he bring himself glory in a gentler, kinder way? Like, there's a lot of things that I'm struggling with, and I'm praying for the Lord to change. Why doesn't he? Is he really not concerned with my good? Is he not for me? Is he actually just for himself? So I, I read the Bible say, God is love and God is for me, and yet Did not feel this morning that God was loving to me and that God was for me. I I honestly felt like God was being selfish and that God was using me as a means to his end. Using me to lift himself up, to exalt his power and his glory. I I didn't understand how God was for me and how him commanding me to love him is, is for my good. How is God letting me suffer, letting me wander in the wilderness. How is that for me? How is that not just somehow in some cruel way for himself? So that was the dilemma. I was genuinely just wrestling with myself this morning. And and I tell you that, and I think that, I mean, I, 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 honestly, I had another sermon prepared for this and just felt like maybe for someone, for some reason, God wanted me to explore this more with you. Um, and so I, I hope that if nothing else, you know that it's okay to wrestle and struggle. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to look at two different verses and go, these don't make sense. But it's not okay to settle there. I seek an answer. I think, I think that we will find it. And so part of the answer for me came in a chapter in The Reason for God uh, by Timothy Keller. Uh, it's, the chapter is titled "The Dance of God," and uh, when we when a few of us read this book together in our, our book club, uh, this chapter it, i don 't know if I, it just didn't make sense um, but but today it it clicked, and I think it actually answers this question pretty well: Is God for me or is he for himself? Is God selfish or selfless? Does God love or is he just using? us for his gain and for his glory how does all of it work and so to understand this we've got to start before we ever existed we've got to go back and and mike addressed this uh, a couple weeks ago with with the trinity and so um for some of you you may be like okay old old news um, but for me, it just, it just clicked today. And, th- and that's the beauty of the Bible. Sometimes we read something and it's like, that's awesome. And then we read it again. We're like, how did I not see this the first time? Right. It just comes to light. I remember Stephanie reading the Andrew Murray book on humility. And she's like, how am I just now feeling like I- I've never understood humility before? Right. How am I just now seeing the the importance of humility in everything? Um, That's the beauty of growing in God, his riches and his treasures and knowing him like he's so incredible and so beautiful that we're never going to get be like, oh, well, I kind of that's old news. Like it's always we're just going to see it more richly and more profoundly. Um, And so we've got to start with God as the Trinity before. I existed and before I had this internal debate and struggle in my own soul, before you existed, before this world existed, before our moms and dads, before anything existed, God existed. He was, he always was. And as Mike talked about, there's one God who exists perfectly in three unique persons. So you've got the father, you've got the son and you've got the holy spirit and god has always existed in one god in three persons in in john 16:14 it says that the spirit glorifies the son right and so the spirit is actively giving glory to the son and the spirit is doing the work of the father Um, And so that is giving glory to the Father. It says in John 17 that the Son exists to glorify the Father, and that the Father exists to glorify the Son, and the Father is glorifying the Son through the Holy Spirit, and the Son is glorifying the Holy Spirit by walking in obedience. And so I realize that there are a lot of arrows here. But what the Bible tells us, and it's imperative to get this, this is essential, is that for all of eternity, before we ever existed, God existed as Father, Son, Spirit, eternally glorifying one another, giving of themselves to the other. God is communal and characterized by a perfect selfless love. The word glorify means to uh, to enjoy, delight in, and celebrate. It, it means to serve and defer to another in joy, right? And so the relationship that we see in God from the very beginning is a perfectly communal relationship. God is love. And so when the Father gives to the Holy Spirit and glorifies the Holy Spirit, He glorifies the Holy Spirit with love. And when He gives glory to the Son, He glorifies with love. And and the Son, when He gives glory to the Father and glory to the Holy Spirit, He gives love, right? And the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And, and so there is this beautiful, and Keller calls it, dance within God Himself of perfect love and delight, and joy, and pleasure. This is the, sorry, ultimate reality. This, this reality of God is the pinnacle. It's, it's perfection without end, and never skipping a beat. It's never off rhythm. It's never off beat. And so, This is important to know that God does not need anything. He doesn't need more love because he's got love given to himself within himself perfectly and for all of eternity. God does not need more glory because he's got glory given to himself within himself perfectly and for all of eternity. God does not need more enjoyment and delight because he's got it given freely within himself for all of eternity and so God within the communal triune father, Son and spirit has the perfect love and, and satisfaction and joy and delight infinitely happy within himself he does not need you and me imagine it's imagine that you meet somebody and You are just enamored with this person. You love them just for who they are. It doesn't matter what they do or give to you. You just love them. You love to praise them and speak of them and be near them. And and their presence simply enriches your life, whether they do anything or not. And then imagine that they feel the same way about you, that they just love you for you. That your presence enriches their life, that they are blessed simply by being with you, and that they love to serve you and to give to you. Their greatest joy is seeing you enjoy. Your greatest joy is seeing them enjoy, right? Like imagine that the two of you then enter into a lifelong relationship or a marriage. It, it sounds a bit like heaven, like heaven on earth. And the reason it sounds amazing is because. It is the source of everything in God. Before the world began, that relationship existed in God. The Father just loved to be in the presence of the Son and the Holy Spirit and the Spirit with the Son and the Father and the Son with the Father and the Spirit. They just loved giving and delighting and rejoicing. And they weren't worried about receiving, but it so happened that they were receiving because the others enjoyed them. right? So it's so important to start here. And to realize that God had everything in and of himself. He didn't need anyone or anything. But he created the world. And he created you and me. Why? Why? Well, it's not because he needed anything. He already had everything. He has everything in perfect relationship, but he creates the world, you and me, in order to invite us into this relationship. God creates us in order to share this beautiful relationship. With us. So he he opens it up and he loops us in to that relationship. That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 when God creates the world, and He creates Adam and Eve. He doesn't need them. He just wants to share more of himself with the creation. It's, it's giving this beautiful relationship to one another. And so the the greatest joy then for the world, for Adam and Eve. It's to just enter into this relationship, this perfect relationship of glorifying the other, of loving the other, of selflessly giving to the other. This joyful relationship that Adam and Eve had with with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was one of complete selflessness. It, It was simply giving and loving and enjoying. So here's where the problem came in though. Self-centeredness, selfishness destroys this relationship. The only thing that can break this perfect relationship that God has is selfishness. Thankfully, there's no selfishness within God. But mankind decides that they're going to do their own thing. Adam and Eve decide to go their own route. They decide to live for themselves rather than for God. The perfect, joyful life that God has is one of selflessness, of giving, of glorifying the other. And Adam and Eve decided to glorify themselves. They decided to live for themselves. And this broke that relationship, that loving union that they had with God. God created them to glorify Him, not because God needs more glory. He already had it. God created mankind to glorify Him because that is the relationship that they exist in, that God exists in is a relationship of glorifying the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the relationship of greatest joy and pleasure and happiness. And so Adam and Eve, though, selfishly deceived by the devil... Take the poison of hell and choose selfishness. Anytime we act in selfishness, we are acting in the poisonous way of deception of the devil. It will steal, kill, and destroy every single time because it is not who God is. God is selfless in and of himself. And so Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. And we have all followed suit. God created all of us to live in this relationship. And we have all chosen rather than to glorify God in perfect love and joy and delight to live for ourselves. And we find that what that does is it steals, kills, and destroys the joy that God created us to have in glorifying him. But God doesn't leave us there. This is the steadfast love of God. This is the selfless love of God on display. It was always there, and now he is displaying it. God the Son, Jesus, comes to earth in order to reconcile us back into this relationship with God. Jesus left heaven, and he focused himself on us. He was still loving the Father and glorifying the Father and the Holy Spirit, but He now turned and faced us so that He could glorify us and lift us up and restore us back into this relationship of glorifying God, the relationship that we are all created for. Remember, He lacked nothing. Jesus didn't have to go to earth and go to the cross and suffer and die. He didn't, he didn't earn any extra favor in heaven. He didn't, you know, have to, well, he did was exalted at the right hand of the father, but he had everything. Like we have to remember that before the world existed, God didn't need anything. The son, Jesus had everything in perfect love and harmony and relationship And so it's not like he needed us, but God so loved us and wanted uh, wanted to share this relationship with us that he then directed his son to rescue us and to restore us. That Jesus would suffer and die on the cross so that our sins... Our sins of going our own way could fall on Jesus and be removed. And then in his resurrection, Jesus stands as an invitation to say, hey, surrender to me, trust me, give your life to me, and I'll restore you back into this relationship that you were created to have back into this beautiful dance of glorifying God. You will give glory and love to God. God will love you and glorify you and lift you up. And it's all ultimately to his praise and to his glory that we're created to glorify God because that is the way that we enjoy the fullness of life and to share in this beautiful relationship that God has always had and always been. So, I, I hesitate, you know, as I, as I wrestle with this, because I'm like, man, is this just is this really lifting up humanity over God? And, and don't get me wrong, like, humanity is God's prized creation, right? Like, the angels long to look into the, the life of humanity, right? Like, so humanity is, is prized in God's creation, but God is still God and and we exist to glorify God whether we want to or not because he is worth it because there's no one that compares to him and there's no one that that matches his his love and his beauty and his supremacy but God creates us to glorify him he he seeks his glory because in us glorifying him is how we ultimately enter into this relationship that is the pinnacle of joy and happiness. Is this relationship with God? And it is found in not living for ourselves, but in glorifying God and living for him. That is how, through Jesus, we are restored into this beautiful dance with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this relationship of love. So when I look at my life and the struggles that I have, I, I can look at it and say, like, man, God's, God's not loving me. He's just being cruel and mean. Or I can, I can see that God is working to maintain a sense of humility in me So that I will look up to Him and glorify Him, not because He needs that, not because He needs me to be humble or He needs me to glorify Him, but because in that relationship of me glorifying Him, that is the way of the greatest joy and happiness for me. So God is for His glory because in us glorifying Him, He is for us. It is our greatest good. That's how we are made. That's how he designed us. We're created, the Bible says, in his image to reflect this. Our purpose in life is to reflect this image of God of selflessly loving and giving glory to another. And therefore, we will only live the life of purpose and value and significance that we desire by living this life. Our sin has broken it. But Jesus came to reconcile and to fix what we broke and then to invite us back into this loving relationship that God has. Now, here's the crazy thing. Once we trust Christ, once we surrender to him, he he opens up the doorway for this relationship. We're brought into the family of God. Now, because we are sinful and broken, because we're, we're not perfected yet, There's going to be times where we continue to to turn away, right? We continue to chase our own way and do our own thing. But Jesus has already opened. The door is open, right? It's an open door for us to repent and return, for us to, to lay aside our selfishness and to return to a life of selflessness with God, the greatest life of joy and happiness. Death follows self-centeredness. Life follows selflessness. So yes, God is for his glory, for us selflessly worshiping him and loving him because in that, that is how we are entered into this beautiful picture of relationship, this life and love of glorifying God. This relationship always existed, always will be. God didn't need us. He invites us into it to share in this beautiful love and life with him. So next week, as we look more at the specific love of God, we can know that God gives his love for us, not as a means to his end, but for us. And yes, as we receive that love, we will love him back. God is for his glory and our love for him. He commands us to love him But again, not because he needs it, not because he's lacking anything, not because he's cruel, but because that is how we live in this beautiful relationship with God is in surrender and humility and glorifying God. So we can rejoice in whatever life brings our way if it points us to a greater humility and glory of God because all that is doing is increasing our connection in this loving union with God. We can rejoice in suffering because in that God is teaching us to let go of this world and to let go of this life and to give glory to God and to connect with God and to join even deeper into this beautiful relationship that is the source of all life and joy. So, That was where I was and am today and still and thinking on. It's not something I'm like, got it. But as we think about God's love, we can truly see it as selfless because it's in our loving Him and glorifying Him that we have the greatest joy in life. It's how we are created. It's where we will find the fullness of life is in glorifying Him. I I hope that uh, this... I hope that this made sense. Um, I hope that it was encouraging. Uh, I, I would love to talk more um, with, with any of you about it. I, I by no means like have it all figured out. Um, again, I think this chapter in the reason for God was good. So if you want to read this book or just this chapter, The Dance of God, it was, it's great. Um, but I, I do hope it's encouraging uh, to you. Uh, I love you guys. Thanks for thanks for letting me just share and be open and honest uh, with my own struggles and my own journey and process and knowing the Lord. Uh, I hope that uh, I hope that it encourages you to to press on and to keep seeking God and to uh, to love Him more. Uh, I love you guys, and uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in worship. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for. Inviting us into the loving union that you have among yourself and the Son and the Spirit. God, I just I ask that you would speak and that you would let us see your beauty and your invitation. In Jesus I ask it. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.